Uh, we give thanks, O oh Lord, for uh, another day that you have made, and I pray that we just continue to rejoice and be glad in it. And we are just so grateful for a God that continues to love us, even when we don't deserve it. So we just give praise and honor to you now, and uh, we just pray uh, that you just continue to bless us well beyond measure. Thank you for that sweet worship that's been sent up, Father, and that sweet incense that is, that's been generated by it. And we pray, Father, that's that your word would be rightly divided today, Father, as always. So we thank you for who you are. We thank you even more for whose we are. And we pray, Father, that you would just continue to keep your hand on us. And we thank you for allowing us another year, another opportunity to turn the page and to uh, just uh, learn to love you more than we've ever loved you before. So we thank you, Father, for, again, giving us an opportunity to get it right this time. So... Uh, to you be the glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, today, my friends, we're going to dig into Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. So we prepared a lot of verses, uh, 1 to 23, but I'm not going to give you any guarantee that we're going to get through it. So let's, uh, let's see what the Lord has for us. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Uh, my first question uh, is, what is a dream? A dream is a series of images, ideas, emotions, and sensations occurring involuntarily in the mind during certain stages of sleep. And I think of... Uh, REM, rapid eye movement, and that's that deep sleep, and that's, uh, and sometimes we've had these dreams, and sometimes they turn out to be nightmares, but in the event, it's still one of the things that, that happens in our lives, and we don't always understand, so we're going to see here where Nebuchadnezzar uh, is, is, doesn't quite understand uh, the, the meaning of these dreams, and uh, the things, uh, his emotions that rise up as a result of that. In the time of revelation, God spoke through the interpretation of dreams that he induced. God induced those dreams in Nebuchadnezzar. God induces those dreams in us. And Nebuch uh, just for, as a little history, Nebuchadnezzar began as a petty chief, chieftain whose duty was to unite different tribes. Then he took over the Assyrian Empire, then the Syrian and by that time, he was on a roll. Then he, over, uh, he overcame the Egyptians, and, which was not a big problem for Nebuchadnezzar and his uh, team. And the Greeks were not able to offer resistance, but he made no effort to move in their direction. He didn't need to because he was then ruling the then known world. Nebuchadnezzar had to think this thing over. This thing is growing fast and strong. So where do we go from here? Where are we going with this? He found that he had assembled a world empire, and God was going to speak to Nebuchadnezzar at this time. Nebuchadnezzar was troubled in his sleep, wondering about the future of this great empire. Where's it all going to end? After 2,500 or 3,000 years of human history, we are still wondering about that. Where is this going to end? Where is this going? Where is this going to end? 
You know, what's happening around us? Why are we sitting idle while the, the, the so-called leaders of the world are imposing things on us that are ungodly? And what I found uh, in my life is just that question has led to debate. There are some among us who think, my, I don't have a, a, a duty to do anything. The Lord's got it. So I'm just going to sit and wait on the Lord. We need to really go back and think about what that really means. Wait on the Lord does not mean sit idle, idly by and do nothing. To sit idly by and allow the powers that be to impose things on us that we know don't line up with the word of God. We know that there are people out there who are, are leading, so to speak, this country, and they are ungodly. Now, the problem, the confusion with some of our, 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 our members, some in the body here, at least, who think, why should I follow someone who is ungodly? The problem that we have is that we go by what the word of God says. It says, obey those authorities. It doesn't get specific about whether he or she is considered a Christian or not. It's a problem for us some of us, because we feel that I need to take a stand for what I believe, and I need to take a stand for what the Word says. And what I'm learning, I haven't gotten it yet, is that no matter what approach we take, there's going to be opposition. But I always reference the book of Nehemiah when I get in, in, into those, those areas, because just because you're doing something good, doesn't mean that you're going to have the support of those around you. And some of us are so naive until we think, well, I'm doing a good thing, so why can't you support me? I'm doing a good thing, so why can't you get in line behind me? And it doesn't always work that way. So we've always got opposition no matter what we do. Well, I'm doing the Lord's work. Why would you be opposed to that? Our enemy has the same heart. To steal, kill, and destroy and we have people among us that necessarily don't kill in the physical sense, but they can destroy the spirit. They can sap us. They can cause us to, they can grieve what we believe if we allow. The question is, are you going to allow? Verse 2, then the king gave the command to call the, mag the magicians, the astrologers, the uh, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the liking of, of his dream. So they came and stood before the king. Nebuchadnezzar called in all of his wise men. These men had been trained just as Daniel and his three friends had been trained. The king summoned his cabinet for a fireside chat. These men were of great intellect and learning. They held many superstitions and concepts of a heathen religion. Is there anything new under the sun? The Bible has been ruled out of schools, most of our schools, yet they teach astrology, they teach evolution, they teach fornication, they teach abomination, and all kinds of superstitions would have to be ejected or rejected by the civilized people of the past. The civilized people of the past rejected these things. It didn't mean that they got results, 
but at least they took a stand for what they believed in. And that's all. That's our reasonable service. Just take a stand for what you believe in. If we fall for anything, then we stand for nothing. So we need to, to make our voices known. We need to be a presence. We need to be that light. We need to be that salt. And regardless of how you feel about it, how you think about it, what we want to encourage is to do what the word of God says to do. Not popular, not the greatest thing to do, but just to be there to, to take a stand. Let's not judge harshly the wise men of Babylon. They were just as smart as some of our wise men and women today. They made mistakes. They uh, did a lot of secular thinking. A lot of the, their ideas and idealisms were based on secular things. And that's nothing new. That's been happening from the beginning. It has continued to happen. These men were the brain trusts of Babylon, and they were brought in before Nebuchadnezzar to hear his unique command. Verse 3, and the king said to them, I have a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Nebuchadnezzar explains that he has had an unusual dream, which he believes to have some tremendous significance. God made it clear that he had something to say, but Nebuchadnezzar, in his darkness, only knew that it was something important. He did not realize the gravity of this dream. And so, as a result, Nebuchadnezzar went out to his wise men looking for answers. Now, he made them an offer that they couldn't refuse. Verse 4, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Your servants, the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Give your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. Here's a problem. The Chaldeans only uh, wanted to flatter the king, so they said, O king, live forever. They tried to avoid the issue. Again, is that going on in our world today? At this point in the book of Daniel, there's a change from the Hebrew to Aramaic language or the Syriac. From verse 4 of this chapter through verse 28, chapter 7, the book is written in Aramaic or Syriac. Why is that? There is an important, this is important to, to, to mention because Aramaic was the court language, the diplomatic language of the day. It was a language of the Gentiles, the language of the world. And here's the, 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 the change, the, the, trans, uh, the crossover, I guess. The significance of the change is quite remarkable. God is now speaking to the world. There's a difference. Before it was an elite group, and now he's speaking to the entire world in the world's language. Not just his nation, Israel had gone into Babylonian captivity at that time, and God had taken the scepter out of the line of David, and he put it in Gentiles' hands. Now, that could be dangerous, but God seems to make some pretty wise decisions, in my experience. So, so I think we can go with that. It will stay there until the day he takes the scepter back. When he takes it back, it will be placed in narrow pierced hands, and the nail-pierced hands would take the scepter 
because it is God's intention for Jesus to reign. That was it. We're going from a worldly king to Jesus. And when he said nail pierced hands, there's only one. There's only one high and lofty one worthy of that deed. So that's what God wants to make that change for us. Psalm 89, 27 says, Of the covenant he made with David, also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. There's only one. Also in Psalm 89, 34 to 37, uh, he continues, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my, my holiness, I will not lie to David. I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne on the sun before me, it shall be established for forever like the moon, even like the fruitful witness of the sky. So what is God saying here? God is saying, if you go out and see the sun has disappeared from the heavens and the moon is not out at night, then you will know that I've changed my mind. How often have we stepped out? Sun's gone, the moon's gone. What God says he means, what God means he says. So he's making it quite clear that we understand what he says. I changed my mind. As long as you see the sun and moon, you will know that I am going to put my king over this earth. And that's what he's doing. He has. That's what he's done. He's put the king over the earth. The question is, are we going to obey that king? Are we going to obey those kings? Are we going to obey the king? That's a decision that we have to make. It's all individual, and it all comes down to a personal relationship with him. If you don't have that personal relationship, this is babble to you. If you do, then there's an understanding of what God wants to do in your life. And to take it individually, what he has for you is for you. Well, this is what the Lord asked me to do, so you should follow along. No, no, not at all, folks. He, he rules as individual as, as we can possibly get. So we have to understand our relationship with him. We have to have a relationship with him. Otherwise, all the motions, all the things that we're going through are in vain. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Verse 5, the king answers and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make this known, the dream to, to me, and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made in ash heap. What the king is saying in layman's term is, this word I speak, I mean. If you do not tell me the dream and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be destroyed. Now, I interpret this, this uh, punishment as a tad excessive and extreme. Nebuchadnezzar is putting fear in these men. They have to come up with the interpretation of the dream, but they first of all have to give what the dream is. I'm going to tell you what you dreamed, and I'm going to tell you what it means. That's a tough task. You know, that would be uh, akin to me saying, guys, I'm going to stand here. You tell me what I'm thinking. 
that frightens me to even know that that's possible. But the Lord knows, the Lord knows this, and the Lord knows what, what is needed here. And he's setting this up. What we have to remember, there's always a plan. No matter what's going on, it could be difficult or it could be easy. But in spite of how we feel about it, in spite of our emotions, he has a plan. So no matter what he's doing, oh, why would the Lord cause me to struggle like this? Why can't he make it easier? And maybe he tried, but he couldn't get your attention by making it easy. So now he's got to ramp it up. What's going on around us today? You know, we see this, the, these things becoming more intense, and we see these things happening more frequently. Why do you think that is? Now, one thing that we need to bear in mind this has to happen. It has to, folks. In order for God's will to be done, there are a lot of things I'm not going to go into detail. You, you, this is something that you have to seek of the Lord for to get a better understanding, but there's some things that have to take place. And we don't like most of them, but they have to be. In order for his, his plan to be carried out, there's going to be pain in the offering. And we have to learn what it means to share and the blessings and the offerings. And to a lot of us, that doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't mind sharing in the blessings, but why do I have to share in the sufferings? It's all part of the deal, my friends. And it's not easy, so let's keep moving. Verse 6. However, if you tell the dream in this interpretation, you will receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was greatly governed by his emotions, and we'll see a little bit of that in, in a few minutes. And uh, it's, it's one of those things that we really have to understand as we read it. It says that Nebuchadnezzar was anxious. And there's a reason why God says, be anxious for nothing, nothing but everything through prayer and supplication. There's a reason why he says that. Just like he said, don't fear. Why is he saying that? I'm not fearing. Well, you might. So he's just warning us. So he's, he's going before us and, and just preparing us for what's to come. And he's doing that now. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't see it. We don't see what he's doing. And the reason that we don't see what he's doing, because we're so in focus on how we're being affected by these things until we can't see the full perimeter. We can't see our peripheral is shut down because we're only looking at it this way, our way. We need to open up. We need to, to allow him to come in and instruct us to, to guide our, our thoughts, to guide our, our, our very walk, to, and to, to follow the path that he's laid before us. He's already laid it there. Now it's your, your choice to make a decision. Are you going to take that narrow road and follow him? Are you going to take that broad road that gives us a lot more latitude? It comes down to you making that decision. And the thing is, he's never going to take that ability away from you. He's never not going to allow you to make a decision for yourself. And that's where we get into trouble. I'm looking out trying to find somebody who doesn't have that problem, but I haven't picked them up yet, so we'll just keep rolling. 
Nebuchadnezzar was greatly governed by his emotions, as we're going to see. He tells them, I am going to reward you greatly if you give me the correct interpretation. Verse 7. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. That's not what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do. Nebuchadnezzar wants to make sure that you're the real deal. At least from what he thinks, there, there's only one real deal. But he, he brought these men aboard because they were superior to others. And they could proclaim things that others could not. So they, he thought that if they can tell me what my dream is and interpret the dream, now I would believe them. But if I got to tell them the dream, now they take my words and they interpret them to what I want to hear. Sound familiar, my friends? I thought it might. These men realize their dangerous predicament, and they again cautiously suggest to the king that you supply the dream and we supply the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar said, no deal. Verse 8, the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you, are, you see that my decision is firm. Nebuchadnezzar is saying to the men, you see that I mean business, and so you are stalling. You are trying to gain a little more time. Verse 9. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is not trusting his wise men. He's not trusting that these men have the, the ability to tell him what the dream is. So he's not going to take any chance on it. You know, you've got to be super, super spiritual. You've got to be super, you've got to be far superior to any men on the earth and be able to tell me this. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has revealed his lack of confidence in the wise men. He is now putting them through a real test. His reasoning at this point is very logical. So that could be a bad word, especially in this context. If they can tell me his dream, then it is uh, reasonable to conclude their interpretation is genuine. If they cannot tell him his dream, any interpretation would be under suspicion. Nebuchadnezzar is not taking any chance with these guys. Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, no lord, or no ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. And that is true. All throughout history, they've never been put in a position such as this. But Nebuchadnezzar was so afraid of not knowing what was happening with this world empire. Didn't really feel comfortable governing it at this time. So he wanted some answers. Now when they answer, what's the dream? What's it about? And now what do I do about it? That's what he's looking for. Verse 11. 
He's looking for direction from men. I caution us not to fall into that. We've already seen what happens when we follow direction from men and women. We've already seen the, the outcome of that. And we see where it's gone and we see where it's going. Especially those of us who trust in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Pray. Pray for direction. Pray, Lord, what would you have me to do? This is just you and him, mano a mano. And that should be our attitude. What would you have me to do? And by, the, uh, by them saying, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. This is the first true statement the wise men have made so far. Only God can provide an interpretation. If you leave out the supernatural, Nebuchadnezzar's demand are unreasonable. These men had been made to be superior, and he was making them to prove their superiority. He's saying, okay, I made you be superior. I train you. So I, these are the, the expectations that I have of you to be able to give me these answers. Verse 11 It is a difficult thing that the king requests. And there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They are admitting that they have no communication with heaven. Their gods were not giving them very much information. We're not receiving anything from our gods. So where do we go? We've learned, as he said with the disciples, teach us to pray. And once we start to pray, then we learn how to pray. Then we learn when to pray. And then we learn why do we pray at all. And these men haven't gotten there yet. Just like some of us haven't gotten there yet. We go through the same steps that we've always done because we consider ourselves successful. I've done this nine times. It's got to work this time as well. And those of us who've been around know that not to be so true. So after we've gone through everything that we can do, well, all we got left is to pray. It's a little backwards thinking, friends. Pray first. Pray first, always. And the good thing about prayer, it can't be overdone. So pray first and then go into whatever the Lord is calling you to do because he is calling you to pray. And I like to use the model of Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen. Not going to repeat it, but that's a good model to use. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. It's a great model to use. Thirteen. Actually, let's back up. Let's back up to twelve. Verse twelve. Daniel 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, verse 12. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious. And he gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. All included Daniel and his three compadres. Now, we may look that as, well, that's not fair. Because these men are trained. They're, they're in training, actually. 
But these men were being trained, but they were being trained by the same crew which the king had now lost confidence in. And a great number of innocent men would be destroyed. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, he carried his dictatorship to the nth degree. He could do anything he wanted. And there's a worldly saying that we use. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. This is an example. Again, have we seen any example of that today? I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah, once or twice. We've seen examples of that. So that's what's happening. Verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariot, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Ariot, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so t- uh, urgent? Then Ariot made the discretion, decision, decision uh, to uh, Daniel, known to Daniel. Daniel is puzzled by the unjust decree of the king. So Daniel uses tact as he approaches Ariot, the captain of the king's guard. He was on char- uh, was in charge of the secret service of that day and naturally had the ear of the king. Now, is this something that Daniel did to set this up? Did Daniel do anything to set up the relationship between him and the king? Or was this a God thing? You decide. How did Daniel obtain favor in this situation? The king said, you guys are all going to die. And Daniel's going to approach the king with the same answers and questions that the other men had. So why did Nebuchadnezzar allow Daniel an opportunity to hear him out? Give us some thought. Sixteen, verse sixteen. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. This is what the other man asked. The king didn't grant it. Give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Daniel got to go before the king. He is already in favor. How did he obtain that? He had never been there before. Not in that. In, in this. And he went with the same heart as the others, except there was one difference. Emmanuel. What was the difference between Daniel's approach and the wise man's approach? And succeeding events will reveal that it was the confidence of Daniel and the faith of God. Anytime we have a situation, we know that he says, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. His promises are yea and amen. So we know that to be true. I will never leave you. I'm with you no matter what. So as long as we trust in him and we honor him, he will honor us. So this is what happens in the case of of Daniel. 
He trusted the Lord. He honored the Lord. He did not compromise. He kept the faith. My encouragement is for us to have that same heart. Don't compromise. You're going to regret it. Well, I just gave in a little bit. A little leaven, maybe? Just a little bit, that's all, not much. 17, then Daniel went um, to his house and made the decision known to, I'm sorry, never mind, never mind, we don't want to not go in there. 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And this, this expression that they might seek uh, memories from the gods of heavens, this is an expression which you will only find in the book of the captivities, which includes Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel. That's it. Only place that you're going to see that. And what does that mean? Uh, this means uh, it, that it reveals the, the basis of their prayers, God does not answer prayer because of the worth or the effort of the character or the work of the one who is praying. All prayer must rest upon his mercy. All prayer must rest upon his mercy. That's it. Well, he hears it uh, a lot easier when the pastor's praying. Nonsense. With all due respect to those who wear the badge, that's all well and good, but your prayers are just as effective as anyone else's. Don't ever underestimate yourself. Never underestimate your God. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never, never, never. Never underestimate God in any circumstance. All prayer must rest upon his mercy. To pray in Jesus' name means that we come to God, not on our own merit, but on his merit, looking to him for mercy. Looking to him. Looking to Jesus. And for those who struggle with what that means, there are some among us who say, well, I accept him as my Lord, but not my Savior. And conversely, there are those among us who say, I accept him as my Savior, but not my Lord. In order for you to have a true relationship with the living God, he must, he must be your Lord and your Savior. There's no splitting it one or the other, because if you have that mindset, then your perspective is all wrong. All right, I expect you to save me, but I don't want you to tell me what to do. I expect you to tell me what to do, but I don't know if I want to be saved because the cost is too high. I have to give up so much in order to follow you, and I'm not willing to do that. I'm counting the cost, and I'm saying, no, thank you. Save me when I need to be saved, after that, leave me alone. 
He says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we got a problem right away. Nineteen. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, did God give Daniel this dream the same way that he gave it to Nebuchadnezzar? We don't know. The word doesn't say. So, and it really doesn't matter. We know that there was a God influence. There's no way around that. The God influence was there. Do we know what he wants for us? Do we know how he wants to reach us? And when the word says God works in mysterious ways, this is an example. How did he infuse that information into Daniel? Again, it doesn't matter, but it makes you think. How will he use you? We need our Marys. We need our Marthas. We need our Barnabases. We even need the Peters. We need it. We need it. We need all of that. And when he gives us an opportunity to serve him, and we don't, we're missing out on a blessing. We're not honoring him. And the word, as I said earlier, God honors those who honor him. So if you're not honoring him, you're going to come up a little short. Verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Not us. There's five or six smart people in the room right now. But how are they serving the Lord? Are they smart enough to serve the Lord in the way that he would want? Are they smart enough to know that God doesn't necessarily want to use our strengths? In our weakness, that's where he's strong. Are we smart enough to know that? Are we smart enough to know that he has a plan for each and every one of us? Everyone. No, no exclusions. He has a plan for you. Pray to find out if you're carrying that plan out. Pray to find out if you're being recognized as salt and as light. Pray to know that he's working in your life regardless of the circumstances. Pray that we would not differentiate between whether he's blessing us on the mountain or he's chasing us in the valley. He's the same God, my friends. The very same. He changes not. 21, and he changes the times and the seasons. He remembers kings. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What's knowledge? What is knowledge? And I'm going to frame this in, in the uh, dividing line between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is when we, we've acquired earthly facts, we've acquired worldly facts, 
and we can share. Some of us are great at trivial games because we got a head full of knowledge, wisdom. Now, you're taking that knowledge and you're transferring it into wisdom. You're not doing it, but he's doing it. So basically what he's doing, he's saying, I'm going to take these 17 inches from here to here, and I'm going to give you a godly heart. I'm not just going to give you facts and figures. I'm going to give you something that you can use to exalt me. And that's what he'll do. He's not about our strengths. And difficult for us to understand, but he's really about our weaknesses. And it's something that we all have in some set. We have a weakness. Everyone that you know, everyone that I know has a weakness. That's where God wants to meet us, right there. I want to meet you when you know it's not you. Well, I pulled it off all by myself. I'm a self-made man. Hogwash. No such thing as that. We need God. We need him in our lives to be the best that we can be. We need him in our lives to not just be about us, but about others. And too often, we're all about us. The old me monster, the old dreaded eye disease, those are the things that we contend with. That's not what he would want from us, not at all. Verse 22, he reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. He knows within the darkness. We cannot. Where do I go from his presence? Where do I go? Where can I hide from him? Where can I go that I can do my dark stuff and he not know about it? Cleft of the rocks, maybe? No, there's light there. The death of the sea? No, there's light there. The highest mountain? Nope, won't work. He's there. He's there. You can't hide from him. Light dwells with him. He is light, and he's calling us to be light. That's what we want to be. That's, that, that's all we're trying to convey he wants us to be light. Will you be light? Will you be light? Will you honor him in your very life? Will you be what he's called you to be? Regardless of what brother says, regardless of what sister says, regardless of what that pastor says, are you willing to stand up and be what the Lord is calling you to be? That's a decision that we have to make, not just day by day, minute by by minute. And, you know, as I'm standing here today, um, my mind is just full with the young people. And I'm not going to leave here today until we pray for our young people. It's not part of my notes in Daniel chapter 2, but it's just been a burden. Some of you have heard it, especially the prayer warriors among us. And those numbers are growing day by day.
So when we finish this, I'm just going to take some time and just ask you guys to pray with us concerning what's going on around us, not just for us who are young at heart, but for the ones who are younger. And, and not only that, but now that the world has allowed us to take down the old calendar, put up a new calendar, right now, as we sit here, there's a room, that, and there's men and women sitting there planning how we're going to keep them under our thumb. Right now. Uh, whether you want to believe that or not doesn't make it true or non-true. It's a fact. They're planning right now. And especially for our younger people, that next generation. We're going to take the God out of all of this. We're just going to remove this completely. And they're working feverishly to do just that. It's a very difficult thing to accept. Why would anyone want to take God out of anything? But we've been seeing this going on for a while. And as of right now, it's ramping up. You pray about what the Lord would have you to do. If he says, be still, be still. If he says, go out and be a light, go out and be a light. If he says, I want you to be my voice, go out and be his voice. Not about anybody else. It's about you. It's about you. Don't, don't, don't depend on what the masses are saying. Don't depend on uh, which way the wind is blowing your friends or your family. And that's a hard thing to do. Nobody wants to be excommunicated from their family. But sometimes that's the cost that we pay. It's the price that we pay. We need to be prepared to be rejected. We need to be prepared to be barred from going to certain family members' homes. We need to be prepared to stand up regardless of who's in opposition to us and be about our father's business. That's what we need to be. Verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what, you, what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. These are, this is what Daniel's saying. This is one of the several recorded prayers of, of Daniel. Daniel was a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of purpose. And Daniel was a man of prophecy. God alone had revealed this secret to Daniel. And this is his prayer of thanksgiving. We have a prayer of thanksgiving. Everybody in this room knows somebody who didn't make the the new calendar year. Everybody. Some of you I don't know, but that's okay. I'm just going to just make that general statement. You know someone who did not hang up a new calendar, 2022. Family, friends, in-laws, outlaws. We know somebody who didn't make it. We did. We crossed over. Praise the Lord. Now, whether you look at that a good or bad, I pray that you look at that as a positive. You got a chance. 
You got a chance. Oh, Lord, I made so many mistakes in 2021. Just give me another shot. Okay, you got it. Yeah, but why is he keeping me here? Doesn't he realize that what a sinful person I am? What a dark heart I have? Doesn't he know that? Yeah, he does. But he's saying that in spite of what you feel, the fields are white and the workers are few. I want you to go out and be one of those workers. I want you to pitch in and help out. I want you to do what I call you to do. I want you to be obedient. Ooh, don't like that word, God. It's okay. That's okay. It's necessary. I, I expect obedience from you. So to go out and honor what he asked us to do, it's hard. It's hard for some of us, especially because anytime we're opposed to what he's doing in our lives, that means we're counting the cost. Don't you know if I don't do this, my sister's going to be furious with me? Don't you know if I do this, my brother's going to be furious with me? God's not concerned about that. He's concerned about you being obedient to his word, his will, and his way. Now Daniel is going to want to ask the king for a little bit of a conversation. And as we dig in, the next time I get an opportunity to stand here before you, I pray that we can, we can go more into this, Daniel, um, chapter 2, verses 24 through 49, to get more of what the Lord is doing in Daniel's heart. Keep in mind that the Lord says that he's not a respecter of persons. So is he willing to do more for Daniel than he's willing to do for you? If that's the case, then the part of the, in the Bible that says God cannot lie, it's not true. God has more respect for Daniel than he was for me. Absolutely not. So we're going to see the things that he's going to do in Daniel's life. We're going to see the things that, that are going to occur that we refer to as mysteries, miracles. We're going to get a chance to talk about the fiery furnace. How many of us are in a fiery furnace right now? How many of us have our jobs on the line based on the decision that we make? How many of us are struggling now because we don't know if we're going to make it without that extra income? We don't know what we're going to have to give up as a result of making that decision. Then the words come to us, choose this day who you will serve. For you Christians among us, you know the rest. Don't just talk about it. Be about it. And as Daniel is getting ready to go in, to be continued, I say, praise the Lord. Lord, just want to pray for the prodigals, those family members, especially our younger ones who have that rebellious spirit. I pray for Christopher, 
I pray for her. I pray for Christina. I pray for Julia. I pray for Jesse. I pray for Joshua. I pray for Megan. I pray for Lauren. I pray for Anna. I pray for Corinne. I pray for Nick. I pray for Ellie. I pray for John. I pray for Kyle. I pray for Marissa. I pray for Elizabeth. I pray for Monty. I pray for Amari. I pray for Eden. I pray for Grace. So many more. The numbers are growing day by day. My heart is broken. But I know you have a purpose. I know you have a plan. I trust you. I pray that we will continue to trust you in everything, Father. I pray that the prayer warriors will continue to lift up these young people. I pray that you would just uh, touch each and every one of our hearts, Father, that you would enlarge our hearts so we can keep our priorities straight to know your will, your way, and your word. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We look forward with anticipation to what you're going to do. This is our prayer of thanksgiving. May you receive the glory of our words and our deeds throughout this day and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, our soon returning King.
Amen.